Parsha Nisvaim. This, of course, this Parsha is always falls right near Rosh Hashanah, either the week before or the week after it. And so it's fairly fitting with uh, a lot of the themes that are in there. Of course, we've been discussing repentance, introspection, right? Readying ourselves for the high holy days, and they are now upon us very quickly. Beginning tomorrow evening, of course, so I'm ready or not, we are there. And so this morning I'm going to talk a little bit about chapter 30 of the book of Devarim. We're going to talk about repentance and teshuva, so we're sort of going to continue that this morning here. Chapter 30 bears a, a message of comfort and consolation. Um, it's, it's a message that when the time arrives, God is going to bring his people back from the nations to which they've been scattered and plant them back into their land to possess it. It's a, uh, certainly a prophetic chapter that we can see is uh, coming to partial fulfillment. But as we're going to read, the uh, promise of... Um, the promise of restoration is contingent on the fact that people must return to God, right, with all their heart and all their being and pay attention to his words. This is, of course, what repentance is, teshuva. Teshuva is commonly um, translated from the Hebrew as repentance. We often refer to repentance as teshuva. And teshuva comes from a root word, shuv, which is... Shin Vavet. And this root is found seven times in the first ten verses of chapter 30. Let's see, it's on page 231 is Devarim chapter 30. Or if you have a different version of scripture, just Deuteronomy chapter 30. So I'm going to kind of walk slowly through just the first ten verses here this morning, and we'll pick out where the word shuv for teshuva or repentance falls. Chapter 30, verse 1. Um, when the time arrives that all these things have come upon you, both the blessing and the curse which I have presented to you, and you are there among the nations to which Adonai your God has driven you, then, at last, you will start thinking about what happened to you. So let's pause there for a minute. There's one in the first verse where it says, you will start thinking about. That's the word um, vahashitova. That's a form of the word shuv. You hear that in there, vahashitova. You can hear kind of shuv conjugated into that word. In the Hebrew, it reads, um, you will turn your heart, like your heart turns. And so there's... Well, they're going to think about what happened. That's where repentance comes in. And so you see that there in the first verse. That's the first time it occurs. Verse 2 is fairly obvious. And you will return. There's that word again. Um, vashavta. And you will return. Vashavta. So return or repent. Return. You will return to Adonai your God and pay attention to what he has said, which will be exactly what I'm ordering you to do today. You and your children, with all your heart and all your being. It's very good. That's verse 2. Now, verse 3, it appears twice in verse 3. Verse 3, at that point, Adonai, your God, will reverse, vashav, so there's the first one, 
Adonai, your God, will reverse, or Vashav, your exile, and show you mercy. He will return, well, there it is again, Vashav, and gather you from all the peoples to which Adonai, your God, has scattered you. So here, verse 3, God is the one that's associated with the word shuv, um, or teshuva in its various forms. And then we have a break for a few verses where it doesn't appear. Um, verse 4, if one of yours was scattered to the far end of the sky, Adonai your God will gather you even from there. He will go there and get you. Adonai your God will bring you back into the land your ancestors possessed and you will possess it and he will make you prosper there and you will become even more numerous than your ancestors. Then Adonai your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your children so that you will love Adonai your God with all your heart and all your being and thus you will live. Adonai your God will put these curses on your enemies, on those who have hated and persecuted you. Okay, now we're verse 8. There's another one here in verse 8. But you will return, there it is, of course, that's pretty obvious, tashuv, you will return and pay attention to what Adonai says and obey all his mitzvot, which I am ordering or which I am giving you today. Then there's another one in verse 9. Then Adonai, your God, will give you more than enough in everything you set out to do, the fruit of your body, the fruit of your livestock, and the fruit of your land, will all do well. For Adonai will once again rejoice. There's that word again. It's uh, yashuv here in the Hebrew. Adonai will yashuv. He will sort of return and rejoice to see you do well just as he rejoiced in your ancestors. And then we get to verse 10. Here it appears the seventh time here in verse 10. However, all this will happen only if you pay attention to what Adonai your God says so that you obey his mitzvot and regulations, which are written in this book of the Torah. If you turn to Adonai your God with all your heart and all your being, of course, if you turn, that there is tashuv. And so... Of course, the people, what are they going to do? They're going to repent from their sins. So the word, you know, this shuv and teshuva is very um, roughly equated with repentance. Now, you can see here that this, uh, this verb shuv is associated with Adonai, and you're probably thinking, well, what does Adonai? Adonai is not repenting of everything, anything that sounds kind of crazy. And that's because translating teshuva as repentance is just a, it's a rough fit. It doesn't quite really gather the whole meaning of what teshuva is. You see repentance, of course, as the act of repenting. You look it up in the dictionary, it means remorseful or um, it'll, it'll mean um, regret. And that's quite often just a cerebral exercise, whereas teshuva is more action-based. Um, I've given this um, little analogy before to help kind of differentiate between repentance and teshuva. Um, say, for example, I was heading to work in the morning, and I got onto I-96, and I began heading west, and after an exit or two, I realized I'm going the wrong way. I can call up my boss and tell him, listen, I made a mistake. I turned the wrong way on the highway, 
and I feel really bad about it. I'm remorseful and regretful. My boss pretty much isn't going to care that I'm remorseful and regretful about going the wrong way. What he cares about is that I'm going to get off the exit and turn around and start heading the way he wants me to go. That way I, he can reward me with a paycheck, right? That's how this whole thing works. So there's a way in your head that you can be sorry about something, but unless you actually um, turn or orient yourself towards the way Ed and I want you to go, then the two things are related, but then again, just being regretful and remorseful and repentant kind of leaves a little be desired to when it comes to teshuva. Because teshuva is more of a orienting your path in life or orienting your focus where you're going. So when you see that attached to, in these verses, to Adonai, it makes a little more sense. The people repent, Adonai is going to turn himself back towards them again. It's not about being sorry for something. It's about turning yourself towards uh, a person. And there, so when we look at these 10 verses, there's a bit of a, a, a little bit of an unusual arrangement. You don't see the typical sin, punishment, repentance, redemption arrangement that you see. It's a back and forth from verse to verse of turning or going ter- towards um, one another. From the heavenlies to the earthly, there's movement of going up and down. You see that in verse 2. Verse 2, it says, And you will return to Adonai your God. So we can see that this is the people moving from below to above. This is man moving towards God here. And in the next verse, it says, verse 3, Adonai your God will turn back your activity, captivity, have mercy upon you. He'll return and gather to you. And so that's movement from God to man. That's as a result of man's turning. That's movement from above to below. And in verse 8, it says, you shall return and listen to the voice of Adonai and perform his commandments. Once again, this is from below to above. This is from man to God, that this movement and this direction and this aiming of the path is. And in verse 9, it's switched again. For Adonai will return to rejoice over you. So here again, the movement is from above to below, from God to man. It goes back and forth in the first 10 verses here. So our teshuva, or teshuva in general, should be better described, maybe not so much as repentance, although that's in the realm, that's in the area, but certainly more as turning towards Adonai or moving towards the heavenly realm on our part. It's important to keep that in mind, that our teshuva should be, we should be sorry and remorseful for sins that we commit, but we should conceptualize this as turning towards Adonai and moving towards the heavenly realm and what he wants from us. Because the world today is doing quite the opposite in large part. They are drifting back and turning a little bit farther and farther away. Um, I had read an article in Christianity Today um, You can just get on their website. It's on there. It was an article posted about a week and a half ago. And the article was called, Decline of Christianity Shows No Signs of Stopping. And they did these, um, um, a bunch of different polls and studies about the country's steady trend away from faith affiliation. These aren't a bunch of people becoming atheists. It's not that. It's just people sort of, 
um, not identifying with a church or a congregation or just kind of doing their own thing. They still believe in God a little bit. Some of them pray here and there, but they're just sort of drifting away. And um, the trend, which they're projecting, and we're, they're talking uh, uh, decades and decades of trends. So it's been a study that's been going on for a while. But they're just wondering what's causing it, how do you stop it, and there was lots of possible reasons. They said some churches are real liberal, and so um, that sort of dilutes the biblical message and leaves a bad taste in some people's mouths, and so they leave. And they say other churches, they're too conservative, too, you know, hard on the people, and that drives away the younger generation. It's not a message that they like. Some just look at the, uh, the state of the world today. There was a quote from that article. It says, Many sociologists, going back to Max Weber, have argued that secularization is inevitable as society advances. Globalization, industrialization, and technology make it harder and harder for people to believe. I think that's a fairly decent answer, too. Especially in our rich nation, it's sort of hard to preach a kingdom message when everyone in this country, at least, already lives in a kingdom of sorts. But I think there's another problem as well. The, uh, the church, for as much good as it does do, sometimes lacks um, Jewish understandings of biblical concepts, sort of like the difference between repentance and teshuva. And these are concepts that the writers of the New Testament took for granted. They assumed that the readers would know these things. But the church kind of early on developed theologies and doctrines based on later non-Jewish sources. So they would focus much more on repentance as far as being remorseful or regretful and a little more on the offering plate and your sins are forgiven and that's kind of, you're good to go. And so I think the church, and again, not all of them, but they have distilled the religion of Yeshua and the disciples into much more of a mental exercise. Um, where belief is most important, and of course works is something you better be very careful about lest you think you're saved by your works. And so it seems there's a little bit of an imbalance there. Um, generally, Judaism's been sort of the opposite way. They're more interested in what you do and how you behave, not as much in what you believe and what you think. Um, the faith life of Yeshua and his disciples seem to be very much concerned with your works and your path in life and your deeds. Um, belief, of course. But the New Testament writers took certain things for granted, and I think the world could greatly benefit from them. And the good news is, as much of the world is moving away from Adonai, many people are having these biblical truths revealed to them. There's people from all nations discovering some of this. They're discovering the Torah. There are discovering Messiah, of course, in a proper context. There's all kinds of information out there about um, how the writers of the books and the Bible thought. Um, and uh, this information is uh, available like never before, of course, due to technology. That's the um, double-edged sword of technology. And so people are having revelation, something we all have experienced, um, revelation about Torah and other things, um, and it's happening to many at different levels and at different speeds, but it's happening, and that is encouraging. And 
that makes our unique path of discipleship all the more important. Our turning, our uh, teshuva, our turning to Adonai as a lifestyle helps us persevere and run that proverbial race, right, more effectively. Teshuva, turning towards him, is the theme of the high holy days, of course, and the moedim and the festivals. These are something we don't just acknowledge with our intellect like we know they're there on the calendar, but it's something that we acknowledge with our actions, right? We congregate. We have joy in eating different foods, some things that we might not normally enjoy or ever eat, but because they're on the little Seder plate, we're going to choke them down because that's the whole part of festive eating, right? We recite traditional liturgies, some things that we do out of the Maksor and all these are ways to set these times apart a little bit and acknowledge them, at least in our physical life, with our actions as opposed to just thinking about them. And we spend a few weeks in a heightened state of teshuva, of orienting our lives towards him. It's a great exercise, and it takes a, lot of, a little bit of effort. We do it a few times a year. I don't think us human beings have enough in us to maintain this sort of focus year-round, certainly. In the kingdom, this may change. But we're turning to him. Um, Tehillim 139 closes with these words. It says, Examine me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is in me any hurtful way and lead me along the eternal way. May we be led on that eternal way, turning towards him, moving upwards towards the heavens, focusing on him, and moving towards things that please our creator. May the spirit be within us, encouraging us and strengthening us during these high holy days. And uh, may the love of Yeshua and the hope of his return be on our minds continually. Shabbat shalom.